Hello, everybody. My name is Saba Maruf, and I'm very excited to welcome you again to our new podcast uh, being recorded here at Podcast Detroit in Royal Oak, Michigan. Today is um, actually our second episode of our new show, Unsung Heroes, Uncovering Stories of Inspiration and Action. And really, um, the purpose of this podcast is to, uh, I really hope to showcase some amazing people and share their inspirational stories. My aim is to uncover the multiple layers of identity um, and life experience that we all have, um, and just also highlighting ordinary people and their contributions. Um, you know, people that might not always be in the limelight, um, but are helping make this world a better place, each in their own unique ways and at a grassroots level. I think about the term activists, and I'm learning that activism can can come in a myriad of different ways. Um, Engaging with others, problem solving, building alliances and bridges, being active in our community and society. Um, that's what being an activist is to me. And so in this day of false news, negativity, bold stances and pitting against each other, I really wanted to just have a platform to have conversations and dialogue to get to know one another. So today I'm really excited for our show um, that uh, our podcast today is uh, entitled Turning Tragedy into Purpose. And we are here today with Nicole Beatty. Um, she is a Michigan native and she's a dietitian, actually, with 15 years of experience in healthcare. Um, and you sounded like you were really on top of that. You know, you were active in academic medicine, publishing textbook chapters, and presenting nutritional research at a national level. Um, in addition to her career in dietetics, dietetics, I say mm -hmm. that right? <laughs> Nicole has been active in the leadership of the Michigan chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, where she currently serves as a state legislative lead. She recently turned her activism to politics and was a 2016 Democratic candidate for state representative in Michigan's 40th district, where she ran on a platform of progressive issues with gun violence prevention at the forefront of her campaign. While her bid was un unsuccessful, she did earn 46% of the of the vote and proved that gun safety was a motivating issue for voters in her community. Uh, Nicole is a wife to a devoted transplant surgeon and mother to two hilarious little girls, ages five and almost three. Um, in her free time, she can be found cooking, drinking coffee, and restoring her historic home in Birmingham, Michigan. So, Nicole, we are so excited to have you here on the second sh on this second show of Unsung Heroes. Um, and we've been in touch on social media, on Facebook in the past few months, and we talked about getting coffee, and yeah, here thank, we are. Thanks so much for having me. How exciting. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and I'm also here with a colleague and friend, um, Calvin Moore. Hey, thanks for having me back. Of course. So happy that you're here to co-host this with me and here in the studio with us as well as Jessica. Hello. Um, so let's see, Nicole, you know, I first saw you, I actually heard you at a candidate forum, mm -hmm. um, that was held at our mosque last November days, be that was days before the election, yeah, it was right like November 5th, I mm -hmm. think it was a Saturday before. Um, and I, I just remember even I was busy kind of helping with the organization of that dinner, but I distinctly remember you telling your story, um, and I really wanted to come and speak with you that night, and I don't think that we had a chance. But your words really resonated with me, and I loved your platform, everything you stood for, everything you stand for. And I really love that um, on a, from a personal level, um, you know, as a physician, a, a psychiatrist, I love that you had a career in healthcare, and you, you know, you still are a registered dietitian, and you sound like you were very active in your field and passionate about what you did, and you know, really got to this level of excellence. Um, 
And then at some point, your career and life took a dramatic turn. So I guess I wanted to kind of start out with, you know, if you could share with us some pivotal moments that ultimately ultimately led you down this path of advocacy work. Of course. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, my my husband's a transplant surgeon and I'm a dietitian. So we have been a medicine family. Um, we met at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston where we had worked for seven years. And, uh, you know, life took us to Michigan, back to Michigan where I'm from. And not long after we had moved back, I heard about an active shooter situation in the hospital. Um, and it turns out that a man um, brought a gun into the hospital, uh, asked to see my colleague, Michael Davidson, who was a brilliant cardiac surgeon, um, and shot him in the clinic before turning the gun on himself. And so following that story... Mm-hmm. And my all of my surgeon friends who fought in the operating room to save him and then had to tell his wife, who was seven months pregnant with their fourth child, that he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a lot of grief in that community that meant so much to me. I mean, I met my husband in that hospital. I had my first child in the hospital. And I really credit my work there for building, you know, turning me into the clinician that, that I am today. Um, but... That was a pivotal moment, but it had been building. I mean, I think as a parent, nobody looked at what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary and, you know, slept the same after that, after watching those 26 kindergartners and educators be murdered in their school um, just a few months before that at the Oak Creek Gurdwara um, in Wisconsin, a white supremacist had shot dead six uh, sick Americans in that temple, very much like the temple where we where we pray. And, um, you know, so all of those things combined just sort of got to me in a way that said, you know, my grief isn't going to help anyone and a Facebook post isn't going to mm-hmm. change it. So what can I do um, to make sure that this doesn't happen to again, that how can I channel these stories into positivity? And so um, I connected with the Michigan chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense. Moms uh, nationally is the largest gun violence prevention organization. And, um, you know, their their message and, and their aesthetic just really resonated with me. And I started doing work uh, here locally with them. And, um, you know, that took me to Lansing and and I was sitting in on uh, committee hearings and I was meeting with my state legislature and, and it sort of piqued an interest in me um, broader than, than just gun violence work. So, Wow. <clears throat> That's, I mean, just hearing those stories, it's, I mean, it brings a lot of emotions. I remember hearing about that story. I'm on a mm-hmm. physician's mom group. And so even just some pr- people that were directly affected and it's like such a tragedy. Um, yeah. I mean, you as a psychiatrist, I mean, mm-hmm. have high risk patients. My husband yep. does high risk surgeries and it's hard to go to work and, and have yep. co- tough conversations with patients anymore and think about your own safety and your own kids at home and, you know, still try to do the job justice. Um, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is a huge concern. You're right in the field of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, it's also we try to, you know, advocate against the stigma against uh, mental illness that, you know, most people that have mental illness are um, are not um, violent, are usually um, victims of violence versus yeah. perpetrators themselves. But I mean, there's always those instances. Mm-hmm. 
So how did you then how did that lead you to decide to run for public office? So, you know, that was sort of a, um, I don't know, almost like a real aha moment. Uh, a couple of people on, you know, I would be on my soapbox on, on social media or whatever. And my friends would be like, Nicole, run for office. And I'd go, ha, what are you talking about? I can't run for office. I'm totally unqualified. I'm just a mom. Why would I run for office? Well, apparently you don't have to be qualified <laughs> yeah. for public office. Well, yeah, this so. was before <laughs> This was before we all found that out. Right. So, um, you know, and and meeting with my state legislatures in Lansing legislators um and talking you know I, I met with my state representative and i asked him to vote no on a bill that would allow guns in our kids schools and he sort of said to me i don't really have an opinion on that issue and wow. i said what and you know i went home and i thought about that that didn't that was the man that was elected to represent me, and that didn't represent me and my values. And I didn't think it represented the values of so many of the people that I knew. And then right around then, Flint was happening and just the poisoning of that entire community due to our negligence. Which and, apparently at the time of this recording, they are now uh, shutting off the past due people who are past due on water bills. Mm -hmm. That is literally poison yeah. they're shutting off people's water which i'm kind of oh like well, you know you're shutting off poison so i don't know how i totally feel about this but they're they're now at the time of this recording shutting yeah. off people's water in in flint so yeah we insult, still haven't got in, our act together yeah insult injury yeah mm -hmm. wow yeah one your water is poison but what you can use it for because you're past due we're shutting it off so yeah i had so no idea Jeez. flint was happening detroit's teachers were walking out on their jobs because it was so you know our, our incompetence to solve our education crisis in Michigan. And I just sort of was like, what if I ran for office? And I stopped. I was on a sidewalk. I stopped and had this moment about it and then went and found my husband and said, well, what if I ran to be the state representative here this year? It was January and the election was November. Uh, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to run a campaign. I'd never really been involved in that capacity. And, you know, went back and while my baby napped, I Googled how to run for office and uh, eventually enrolled in, in the Emerge Michigan program. Emerge mm -hmm. America nationally is a program that trains Democratic women to run for office. And so that network gave me both the campaign tools and then a, a mentorship network that allowed me to to get on the ballot and run and uh it just you know it was so outside of my realm of normal but i just kept going and and doing these things and knocking on doors and talking to people and and every time someone said to me of course i'll vote for you that sounds awesome it, it surprised me and then kept me going and uh you know, we, I still lost, but was, um, I'm really proud of what I accomplished. Uh, and people still say, you know, run again, I'll support you. And it's really great and encouraging and inspiring. Wow. That's you, amazing. I'm proud you, of you. That is amazing. Do <laughs> you plan to run again? I'm thinking about it. It, right. It's still a tough district very for a Democrat. Very, very political, wow. <laughs> very political answer. You know, <laughs> unless, I'm thinking about unless it. Unless someone offers me a really compelling job, uh, in the meantime, I I'm, I'm thinking about getting on the ballot 2018. We'll see. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So no regrets there. Sounds like an amazing learning opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of set up to to lose. I was I ran in what was wide, widely considered a Republican state's seat against a two-term incumbent 
uh, you know, everyone told me, don't run, you'll never win. But you got 46% of the vote. That is, yeah. And I'll tell you, no one's ever got, no House candidate has ever got more than 42% of the vote. And this is on a ballot where the Democrats were getting squashed. And this was my, you know, because I was such an underdog, I didn't get any big institutional support. So I really did it with my small campaign. And and wow. I'm really proud of that. And I think that means that the things that I was talking about, like our kids' education and um, freedom from gun violence and clean water and the rights of women to take time off work without getting, you know, getting paid sick leave and, and those sorts of things. I saw um, a picture today, by the way, of all all old white men. Nothing wrong with your race, but yeah, old, basically old men coverage. talking about uh, maternity leave specifically. Mm-hmm. Like well, there are no women yeah. in the picture taken. Oh, I mean, oh. that picture should be on a billboard encouraging people um, of color and women to run for office. I mean, until mm. our state houses look like our actual houses, we will never be represented in our government. And so that's why it's so important. I go around telling everyone I can to run for office because uh, it's so important for us to be represented in the in in all levels. Do you of tell government. them that in your district, though, because then you'd have competition. Because you ran, you ran, you ran unopposed, right? You ran unopposed. I ran unopposed on the, on the Democratic side, and right. I still do in my district because okay. you know it's a Republican may, may district. The best right. woman win. I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's so interesting because it's. I mean, well, I think we're seeing this a lot that people that would have never considered running for anything, and your case in point, mm-hmm. um, are just inspired. And I'm sure after. Everything that's going on now and exactly what you mentioned, Calvin, like you can see how little qualification you really need and how amazing. I mean, just, the, I, the, you know, that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is just to bring to forefront and highlight just amazing things people are doing just here locally. Yeah. Um. So that's really inspiring. And that's it's almost like you didn't have anything to lose even losing was not really losing i mean you got 46 percent of the vote that's huge that's significant and that you can kind of only it's a it's like a springboard hopefully it's a springboard for you yeah and i mean i did that i was braver than i've ever been i did things i never would have imagined i stood up on stages with congress persons and senators and and you know they told people to vote for me and it was amazing and but even better were all of the people that would come up to me and say, I saw you speak at some event and I'm going to run for the school board. And that That's was awesome. so wow. I might not have a new job right now, but I definitely won uh, from running for office. And how did you um, I mean, you're very articulate and that's pretty, you know, from January to November. That's like. Yeah, I <laughs> when, when people like say you're articulate, man. when people say that to me, it's always followed up by your credit to your race. Uh, <laughs> so I was like waiting for like, wait a minute, hold on. All right, I know you're trying to give me a compliment here, but kind of wrapped up in a yeah racist yeah. insult. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyhow, I'm sorry, that's where my mind went with that. I see, but um, but did you have a lot of? I mean, I guess you know over the course of wow really like 11 months did mm-hmm. you feel like you found your you grew grew into your voice also you found your voice i mean how did that yeah. this whole experience change you um i mean it just i think it pushed me much outside my comfort zone and i i did it the more people you know even of all parties you know republicans would say to me on the doors yeah 
I, I want our kids to have a great education and be safe in their schools. I'll vote for you even even though I'm a Republican. Um, you know, it made me feel like I wasn't crazy. This was these were important things and I was on the right track and my community agreed and just keep going. So how was the support from your the Sikh community and your husband's family, your family? How did they feel? You know, they were um they were Definitely supportive. I feel like I actually didn't engage them enough that toward the end, some of them were like, I didn't know you were, you were writing. I would have helped you in any way I can. So, you know, we had a couple of fundraisers and a couple of events and I talked at the temple about, you know, some of the issues. Um, earlier in the year, we had done like a bottle water drive for Flint and those sorts mm. of things. So, um, you know, I'm happy to start. I think all minority communities are realizing that they need to start getting more involved in politics to yep. have their interests represented. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to help them start thinking about that. But my community, of course, is is supportive of me. And yeah, your your community, what what is your community? So my husband's sick. We I go to the we go to the Gurdwara in Rochester Hills. Okay. Um, my bet is right by our mosque. Right down well, the you street. Because you, yeah. you came okay. over. Yeah. Because yeah. you did mention, hey, we go to, we go to a temple. And I'm like, okay, is it a Jewish temple? It's is a, a Sikh, Sikh temple. Sikh yeah. Temple. In, right, right. Uh, in Rochester Hills. But there's also a big community in Canton, Livonia, you know. And that's so pronounced a couple. Sikh. I always thought it was pronounced Sikh. You know, I think the, with a British accent, it's pronounced Sikh. So that's why people um, say that. But mm, I think the Punjabi word is more like Sikh. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. So All tell right. us a little bit about that. You're, Meeting your husband and learning more about his religion and just your yeah. whole path. Well, um, of course, it had its challenges. I mean, we um, – but, you know, we got to have the tough conversation sort of up front, like how we wanted to raise our family and what that looked like, you know. And and it wasn't always easy, especially on his side. His, his parents, I think that wasn't the um, – the courtship they had imagined. But, um, you know, eventually we made sure that his family came along with us on our journey. And, and when, by the time we had agreed to get married, everyone was sort of on board. And now we all live together here in Michigan and we're all very close. And, and, um, you know, our, uh, I was open to raising our kids as sick and, uh, and that really helped. Is there, um, Okay, so you're you're running as a politician. Mm-hmm. There are politicians who I'd like to 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 interview on on my show, uh, who I understand. Hey, maybe I should, while running for office, distance myself from religious talk mm. about you know. <laughs> even though I am religiously devout, I should distance Good myself question. so that I represent all people, or I don't come across as not representing all people. So. Was that at all in in your running a political liability at all, or was it because oh your husband's sick? It doesn't really matter. She's whatever we want her to be. There's probably some of that. Absolutely, I okay. think it's easier for me to be a white candidate, but you know, for some people, but I, I didn't hear anything explicit. But for me, it was really important to make my sick family be at the center of my campaign and put my turbaned husband on as many pieces of mail or Mm. my website or whatever as possible because, um, you know, six 
along with Muslims, have borne the brunt of this Islamophobia in this yes. post nine yeah. eleven yes. world. People, get, people, so, they, people attack Sikhs thinking they're Muslim, right? And absolutely. Yeah. And for the Sikh community, they've not wanted to distance themselves. You know, the, the messaging is not want. We're not Muslim. Don't attack us. The messaging is hate is is not appropriate in any way. And part of you know, there's lots of people doing that work, and a lot are, are amazing. You know, friends and colleagues of mine, but. Part of that is just just showing our communities as um, important and contributing members, whether it's, you know, six on TV that aren't playing the, you know, quickie mart mm-hmm. manager, but an actual, you know, family member or someone new, whether it's someone on the news, whether it's six in politics. And so for me, having, you know, my family. My mixed cultural family be on in the forefront of my campaign to demonstrate that this is a normal and um, contributing member of your community was really important to me. Interesting. Wow, that is so interesting. And you're right. Those are, I mean, such common challenges that we have. Exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking about media and film and being portrayed as just yeah terrorist number one and two. Exactly. Right. Instead. Exactly. Real. Yeah. Real people. And how has it been, I mean, you know, in this political climate, you personally, um, how's experience been being married to someone who looks very visibly different? And of course, I could ask my husband the same thing, but just, you yeah. know. You could ask me the same thing. Yeah. yeah. My wife is white. So yeah, well, that's like, right. Yeah. That's true. Oh. You know, for, uh, we used to live in Boston and people are a lot more vocally, I don't know, they call them mass holes for a reason, I guess. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was like an oh. everyday occurrence for someone to like roll down their window and yell Osama out the window and that sort of thing. Um, you know, we, we. Can you even get, I, I almost wow. feel like at that point you can't even get mad. You're like, that guy is so dumb. Yeah. He <laughs> doesn't even know the difference. Yeah. I know. Exactly. But, and Osama's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, not, he not wasn't at the time. He wasn't <laughs> okay, at the time, okay, if that fine. helps. But we took care of that. Yeah. But, anyway. but still, it happens. And, yeah. um, and, uh, so we don't get that as much here in Michigan, but, um, you know, you can tell, like, just by the way kids look around or by pe- how people kind of watch you when you come in places, you realize there's still work to be done, um, you know, making yourselves feel comfortable as as a member of the of the community and, and that this sort of rhetoric that we're hearing you know, anti-Islam rhetoric and anti-immigrant rhetoric, um, you know, how many people you hear in a day that someone told them to go back where they came from, right. you know, my like, friends I was born and family. In and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I don't think it's an easy time for anyone of color right now. And everyone's kind of struggling to understand why um, why we could have elected someone that's pushing that rhetoric so much and making people feel so much, uh, so excluded from the fabric of our country. But this, see, this show isn't about that. I could tell you exactly why that happened. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, Saba. <laughs> no, 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 that's your a whole segways. That's okay. a whole other <laughs> yeah. yeah podcast. Yeah. But um, but I mean, speaking of, I mean, also your daughters. So your mm-hmm. oldest is she in school? Yeah, she's in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always an interesting question, you know, um, how do you, how are you both raising your daughters to be proud of their um, bicultural identity? Yeah. I mean, I think we try to keep them as engaged uh, both in the, in the Sikh community and the Indian community as we can, because I mean, they're American kids, they're second generation American kids. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
you know, so they're inundated with American culture all day. So, you know, making it a point to like give them their sick culture as well. But definitely we went to parent teacher conferences yesterday and their, her teacher was like, she loves to talk about her culture. She loves so to talk awesome. about, um, you know, whether it's that she doesn't cut her hair, that she wears a special bracelet or, or, you know, that she's a vegetarian, which is more my, you know, less religious and more our family's culture. But, um, but, you know, she colors her skin in brown with the brown and the tan color crayon. And so I know that she, you know, identifies that way and um, and is really proud of who she is. And so we just keep trying to foster that. The, the other day she said um, at the dinner table, hey, mama, how did you decide when you got married that you would become a sick instead of Papa becoming an American? <laughs> and we were like, hold up. So, um, you know, we had a really great conversation about um, nationality versus faith, but uh, just her being able to realize that she was in this unique kind of multicultural family and ask questions about it was, you know, a nice moment that she's kind of growing into the her insight about her individuality. That is, that's such a nice story. That's such a cute story. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, again, really reflects kind of, uh, I guess my experiences in a lot of us as mothers. Uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking, so my daughter is almost five and she is constantly singing the Moana songs. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was so cool. All day. Exactly. All day. I'm like, when did you learn all the words to this mm-hmm. song? <laughs> We've only seen it once. But um just even thinking back to, you know, like the 80s and the Disney princesses then, and they all kind of looked the same. And now, you know, 25 years later, I just thought it was really neat. Hey, there's a Disney princess that kind of looks like you. Yeah. A little bit darker skin and dark, you know, hair. And I just it's thought definitely that's really nice. I mean, it definitely came from a lot of societal pressure, people mm-hmm. rejecting the usual princess, you know, mm-hmm. um, narrative. So I'm glad that Disney's listened to that and said, okay, fine. You don't have to have a love story and you don't have to have a little thin-waisted white princess. Um, You know, we we can make better role models for our kids. Exactly. That's so nice to hear how proud she is. And Mm -hmm. um, just I think it's really important exactly what you're saying, teachable moments and fostering those conversations and that identity because they notice. I mean, you know, we like to think that our kids are colorblind and that grease, but they they see it. They don't have the negative associations. Yeah, so, absolutely. Very fresh faced and mm-hmm. innocent. Um, so tell us a little bit about your activism work in advocacy for safer gun laws. I knew you touched upon it. But. Yeah. So right now, I mean, some of the, the initiatives that that I and Moms Demand Action are most focused on are, you know, pushing sort of both cultural and legislative changes that uh, make us safer, whether it's ensuring background checks on all gun sales, which is a measure that, you know, over 80 percent of people support. So it shouldn't be a partisan issue. It's uh, widely accepted by gun owners and non-gun owners alike that everyone should have a background check before they're able to purchase a gun, not have, you know, gun show loopholes or private sale loopholes. Um, here in Michigan, one of our initiatives this year that's really important is we're asking lawmakers to reject a bill that would allow people to carry loaded concealed handguns without any permit requirement. Um, it's not terribly hard to get a concealed pistol license in Michigan already, but mm-hmm. this would um, eliminate that requirement so we can't even be sure that um, anyone carrying a concealed weapon has even seen the video about Michigan's gun laws and about when it's appropriate to draw your weapon. 
Um, and, you know, not only are we speaking out about that from a public safety standpoint, but it makes it very difficult for law enforcement to know how to um, figure out if someone is or is not allowed to have a weapon. Um, so uh, we're also nationally fighting back against um, bills that would allow guns in our schools and um, bills that would, again, kind of decrease the, the, the permitting requirement for, for people to carry. So you're fighting against, uh, for instance, like a security guard having a gun to protect kids. Because I know that after Sandy Hook happened, a lot of people were like, you know, what would be good is if somebody at the school had been armed. No. Some people said some people said teachers and people were like, no, not teachers, yeah. but someone I who's. We don't mind a trained and kind of uh, a trained security person. It's more the narrative that parents and teachers should be armed. That we think is not uh, appropriate. T- traditionally, schools are off limits to to weapons here in They're Michigan. Gun-free zones, right? It gets a little dicey with our lack of laws uh, prohibiting open carry of firearms. So that kind of loophole has allowed people who openly carry weapons into our kids' schools, and we've sort of fought back against that. Um, so in that respect, mm-hmm. it's it's almost not even that. Uh, it's not that unreasonable. Or that far, people assume there's this misalignment between people who are for sensible gun control laws and those who are against uh, any kind of gun control laws. And I had people on my show who talked about gun control. They're like, hey, no, don't arm teachers. Have someone who's trained. And it sounds like – and they were staunch Republicans. Yeah. And as far as I understand, you ran as a, as a, as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And you're saying pretty much the same thing that they were saying. Yeah. So I think there's – on this issue, it's almost non – I mean, it, it can get partisan, but it's almost nonpartisan when it comes to – let's talk about this from a common sense mm-hmm. standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. The The problem is that the NRA, um, who is sort of a well-funded and very vocal, what I think, minority, um, has been pushing this agenda for all people to carry – all carry guns anywhere at any time. And I, I think that we see that guns are – turn a normal situation into a dangerous situation um, all the time. Uh, and I, I think that arming our teachers and having parents, you know, pack in heat at the ki- the football game on Friday nights just is a recipe for danger when our kids are involved. You know, another initiative that we really work hard on is both the education piece and the legislative piece around gun safety. So, you know, if I have to see another article about like a two-year-old shooting their five-year-old Sibling, I mean, 100% of the time, those are due to adult negligence. And we have to be tougher um, about people who leave, leave guns out and in, accessible in to minors. And we need to also educate people about safe gun storage and make sure that gun safes and gun locks are really readily accessible everywhere. Interesting. Well, I mean, you bring up, bring up a very good general point too. This is something that my husband and I have been talking about is that we are so, I mean, right now with this climate, everything is so heavily like black and white, mm-hmm. one against the other uh, partisan. And exactly. It's, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of our parents, I'm a um, second generation American. And I remember when we first moved, when my parents, I mean, I was born here, but you know, kind of coming into our own American identity in the eighties. And uh, many 
and like many of their friends, uh, my parents were actually more leaning towards Republican, mm-hmm. the Republican Party because of, you know, what they saw as being consistent or more in line with, um, you know, val- the values that they had. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, there's been, the, the, of course, this shift, but that's kind of how the Republican Party has been viewed. And we're those are things that we can all, like you said, we can all sign on to um, that we agree with or that we values that we would want to uphold. And so kind of exactly coming to coming to these discussions with, OK, let's start with the common ground. These yeah. Things that we agree on. It doesn't have to be a partisan issue. No. And that once you have it in that light in these categories and it's like all everyone just kind of shuts down and no one's listening to each other anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult when you should, like talk take background checks, for instance, they poll it 80, 90 percent of Americans think you should have a background check before you can buy a gun. So why don't 80 to 90 percent of legislators think you should have a background check before you can buy a gun. And so who, if they're not speaking for us, who are they speaking for? And, um, you know, and is, is that something, is it financial? Is it political? Like what's driving our complacency yeah. in Congress yeah, to it's, solve it's this problem? financial so that you can remain political. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's pretty much right. how that works, yeah. right? No. Yeah. Um, how did you, I mean, speaking um, on this topic, and this kind of goes along with, you know, what we were talking about, about you deciding to run for office. How did you become well-versed in research and become, you know, be able to talk about these issues on a public platform? I kind of feel maybe sometimes people might be a little bit intimidated by feeling like they have to be able to, you know, have that verbiage and that knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think, confidence. Um, you know, doing doing activist work, especially in gun violence, I, you know, got pretty familiar with the talking points, but... Um, you know, there are a lot of issues that a lot of people are um, concerned about economically and from education policy perspective and environmental policy. And, you know, I had to be able to be comfortable saying I don't know when I didn't know instead of, you know, and and, and looking it up when I needed to. It, it took some homework. It took some, um, you know, looking really deep diving into some of the issues. But I was lucky enough to be able to talk to a lot of members of the community to see what was most important to most people and really go back and and find out, you know, what policies in Michigan were driving um, the issues and and so that I could talk, you know, be more educated speaking about them. Wow. Very good. What what advice would you give to other women and moms in activism and advocacy work? Either that are, you know, wanting to do more, um, trying to find their place or women and mothers that are already doing it and that balance also it's always that age-old question of how do we achieve that work-life balance yeah absolutely i mean i think that um being a mother is what made me like strong enough and brave enough to actually take on these this uh crazy challenge i mean i think just having there was something about having kids that made me feel it, it you know in uh and what's the word I'm looking for? Undefeatable. I don't know. Mm. Like invincible. Invincible. That's mm. exactly the word I'm looking for because it's like these little human beings mm. I, I, are still alive and turning into <laughs> like their own people in the world. And um, so if I could do that, I could do anything. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just the inertia of getting started and and, you know, finding your own voice and what issues are important to you. I mean, I started with issue based work. I started with gun violence prevention and that led me into politics. But 
um, you know, what just knowing that that your voice counts, whether it's you decide to take five minutes every morning to call your congressman and, and mm-hmm. talk about an issue or if you spend one day a month making phone calls for Moms Demand Action, asking people to come out to an event or, you know, um, whatever tools you have the most of, whether it's time or whether it's money or whether it's art. I, I have a neighbor who is always inspiring me. She's so amazing. She does teaches dance to people who have Parkinson's disease and makes them feel better. You know, just kind of whatever you can contribute, just finding a little time and and putting it out there in the world. Um, I think to benefit the community is important. And, you know, your kids don't care how many days those dishes have been in the sink, but they do benefit from, you know, seeing you out there protesting and making a difference. I mean, one day on the way home from school, my daughter said, I think it was like they were learning about the environment. And she said, okay, mama, you become president. And then after I'll become president, and then I'll tell people they can't litter anymore. And it was like five-year-old reality, but so inspiring that, you know, she she was learning from me that her, her voice would be important when she got older. So that was what kept me going. Well, what a valuable lesson at such a young age. It's like the sky's the limit. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, anything else that you'd like to share about yourself or? Well, I mean, we touched on a lot of interesting um, topics. I'm so inspired by everything that you've done. So you're um, currently, you're not working as a dietitian because you've been so busy with all this other yeah, amazing work. Yet. So I'm at an interesting crossroads where I'm deciding what's next for me. Do I go back to medicine? Do I do nonprofit work? Do I run for office again? So I guess the world is my oyster and I I don't know what what my path is, but, um, you know, it's sure to be exciting uh, nonetheless. And, you know, I'll tell you to run for office. This is my plug. Run for office. Run for office. Everyone in this room, um, because I think that our government at all levels, whether it's your city council or your school board, um, needs people, women, women of color, men of color um, representing our communities in the in the government. Oh, very good. Well, I, 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 I will, I will tell that you, you that, run again. <laughs> I will tell you that even though we have a, uh, a current president who admitted all sorts of crazy things that should have disqualified him, uh, I feel like I have too many skeletons in my closet to run for office. <laughs> <laughs> like immediate scandal Obviously, right off the bat. But doesn't, well, I I'm not a terrible person. You. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't stop me, but I would definitely lose and lose big. But anyway. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Right. But, well, it's a story. I could win. I could, I could win could, huge. I could win huge. You could, you could use huge. bigly and you could, um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Right. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. This was fun. Thank you so much for um, helping me kick off this uh, podcast of Unsung Heroes, and you definitely fit the bill. Um, I I really hope that you run again. Um, You have that momentum, and you know what... I mean, you just hit on all these topics that are important, like we said, to all people. Um, And I've learned a lot from this conversation. I hope that um, everyone listening finds it inspiring. And join us next time on another episode of Unsung Heroes. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you.